Hello and welcome to Messages at BBC. In these messages, you'll hear from professors, staff, guest speakers, as well as students. These messages were spoken and recorded on campus at Boise Bible College. If you'd like to check out Boise Bible College, please see our website at boisebible.edu. I wanted to say that it's been an honor to be an RA and student leader on campus. It's been a very humbling experience, and I've enjoyed getting to know each, each one of you. I'm excited to dive into our passage today. We're currently going through a study on Galatians, and today we're going to go back to chapter 3 because Exponential Boise was happening when I was scheduled to speak. To give you a little bit of information about me, I was born and raised in Grants Pass, Oregon, which is not Portland and is not even close to be compared to Portland. And if you're going to compare to anything, you might as well say it's in California. Um, I attended a private school in first through fifth grade, and then I went into public school for middle school and high school. When I was in high school, I went to this Hick school, and while at the city school, you could graduate with an associate's degree and have all of your medical prereqs done, I had FFA, welding, and Spanish was the only option for a foreign language. Um, as a student, I was in this awkward position of being bored in the average classes, but being really dumb in the smart classes. Um, I was that student in math class that would ask a question for the sake of the one student in the room that had no idea what was going on. You know what I'm talking about? I knew the answer, but I would look around and see these students who were so lost. And as I read through this passage in Galatians, I couldn't help but think that Paul felt this way like I did in math class. So to give a refresher of Galatians, Paul is writing this letter to call the church to freedom. Paul calls out the Galatians in early in chapter 3 saying, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? The Galatians had the gospel in their hands, yet they traded it for a false gospel. Paul's writing to the Galatians, who truly believed that these new Christians needed to become Jewish. They needed to be circumcised. And Tristan talked about this last week, but if you'll raise your right pointer finger with me and make a circle, it's like this, this represents the Jews. They were in their own circle. Okay, you can put your hands down. Uh, right? And then with your left hand, draw a different circle. This represented the Gentiles, okay, you can put your hands down again, and uh, what the Jews understood was that the people had to become Jewish, they had to come into their circle uh, to accept Jesus, be saved, okay? So Paul comes in and puts the law in its place. Like my math class, the Jews were a little bit confused of what was going on, and so Paul addresses the Galatians in this way. And the reason it's so important is that because the gospel was at stake, the law does and will continue to prevent people from salvation. And we know that salvation does not come through the law, but it comes through Jesus alone. But the problem is, guys, we create laws that prevent people from coming to Jesus. And the question I want us to be thinking about is, in what ways do we continue to live by the law? 
And do these laws prevent people from coming to Jesus? Paul is calling the church to freedom and by addressing, by addressing the law's place. Paul challenges the Galatians' worldview and their view of the law. He asks questions pertaining to the law, but he actually ends up answering himself to prevent confusion. We're going to walk through the text in Galatians 3, starting in verse 15. Paul begins with an example from everyday life, a human covenant. And what the heck, Paul? I'm already confused. (laughs) What is a human covenant, and why does Paul use this example? We still use these today. We just don't call them covenants. And I have four uses of covenants, the first being a covenant of friendship. And we see this with David and Jonathan in 1 Samuel 18. Jonathan's covenantal faithfulness protected David when he was being chased down by Jonathan's father. Today, this form of covenant can be seen in what we call best friends. Or to take it a step further, if you consider someone your brother or sister. And we see this with David and Jonathan. They were like brothers, best of friends, and their friendship was a covenant relationship. The second kind of covenant is the covenant of marriage. And in our leadership meeting uh, a while back, we were evaluating the mission and vision of BBC. And there's a chart of four quadrants, and one of the quadrants being what are threats to our mission and vision. So Caden, is he here today? Will you stand up and tell them what you said? And Kaylee, too, was the first to say that marriage is a threat to BBC. And I don't know if that's true or not. Um, (laughs) But the second type of marriage covenant, uh, the second type of covenant is a marriage covenant. And we know you go to the courthouse or you host a wedding, say your vows, wedding rings, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Shout out to Kim, Annie, and Heather, right? That's exciting. You're getting married this summer. Okay, the third type of covenant is a covenant to self. This is the kind of covenant where you make a vow to yourself like a New Year's resolution. The fourth type of covenant is a covenant to a nation. And this could take place when an individual commits to joining a branch of the military. A covenant to a nation could also take place when you decide to live in a different country or nation. You commit to voting and obeying the laws of the land. And in the Old Testament, this was also seen when making treaties and trade agreements with two nations. So I've listed four examples uh, that's referencing referencing everyday life to the Galatians, but we too make covenants, even when we don't realize it. And I want to share an example of my mom, and her name is Gretchen. She has been widowed twice, and has, re- has married three times. Her first husband, Brian, committed suicide, unfortunately, and her second husband, Brett, died of heart issues. And my dad is Brett, but I remember when my dad passed away and my mom told my brother and I about Brian, and I was like, is he even my dad? It was all very traumatic, but also pretty funny. Um, of course he was my dad. Um, after my mom died, I'm sorry, after my dad died, my mom remarried a wonderful man named Jeff, and he's the best. 
And all this to say, I remember asking my mom, Mom, how do you keep falling in love with people? And she told me, Megan, love is choosing to be loyal to someone. And that, that's a covenant. Loyalty and love that is not easily separated, and a breaking of a covenant is painful. Read with me in Galatians 3.15. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that is duly, has been duly established, so it is in this case. Paul is saying that covenants cannot be changed on a whim, or, and neither can the covenant God made with Abraham be forgotten. Verse 16, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and two seeds, meaning, meaning many people, but into your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. And we know the seed is referring to Jesus, but not all of the Jewish, the Galatians understood this. For the Jews, their thought process was that the seed was referring to descendants of Abraham, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And we should kind of laugh at this section too, because Paul's correcting them by saying that it's not many seeds, it's just one seed who, by the way, is Jesus. So not only is Paul drilling down on the Galatians for choosing a different gospel, he's messing with our heads a little bit. Again, like in math class, I'd ask a question and the teacher answers and all these light bulbs go off. Aha. Paul's pushing a lot of buttons and he's challenging them to take off their Jewish goggles and their Jewish worldviews to see the mighty work that God did through Jesus. Let's keep reading him. Verse 17, what I mean is this, Galatians, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. The law did not set aside God's covenant with Abraham and the promise of Abraham does not dissolve after the law is given. The plan was always for a seed to come. The Galatians did not deny that Jesus was the Messiah. They didn't deny that he was sent by God. The Jews believed that everyone could be saved, but they believed that they needed to come into this circle. They're thinking that God made a way for all people to be saved, but had to be done through becoming a Jew. And Paul's trying to call the church to freedom. Verse 18, For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. So Paul plays with this scenario. Had our inheritance depended on the law, then we do not need the promise. The inheritance is given through Abraham. The law was not the final goal of God's plan. The law was an essential step, but only a step. Christ is the beginning the end and the center of God's plan. And this raises the question of why the law was put in place. Again, in math class, they're like, what's going on? What's Paul talking about? Paul's wrecked their worldview. He's challenged them. And now I'm sure they have a lot of questions. In verse 19, why then was the law given at all? Great question, Paul. If you didn't ask it, I would have. <laughs> And here's the answer. We're still in verse 19. It was added because of transgressions. Until this, 
the seed to whom the promise referred to had come. The law was not the final goal of God's plan. The law was an essential step, but only a step. Still in 19, the law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Paul's pointing out how the law is inferior because it requires a mediation. From God to angels to Moses to people. And on the other hand, Paul, uh, on the other hand, God spoke directly to Abraham. And we know that the covenant of Abraham promises one mediator, Jesus. Paul refers to the Shema in Deuteronomy 6.4 when he says, God is one. There's one God and his plan was always for Jesus to be the one to one way to receive salvation. The law did not and could not accomplish salvation and therefore is inferior to the promise. Paul raises a second question, verse 21, is the law therefore opposed to the promise of God? Is there a contradiction between the law and the promise? Absolutely not, Paul says. Verse 21, for if the law had been given that it could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. When I was in high school, there was a girl in our youth group who didn't grow up in a Christian home. She'd never really been to church and uh, definitely didn't know the gospel. She started coming to church, though, and helped out with communion on Sunday. She was in her booty shorts and tank top, She wore this, like, choker collar necklace. And no joke, she was wearing bunny ears to church. Okay? How dare she? And they were saying, people in the congregation were saying, why is she serving communion? Why is she wearing that to church? And the pastor just calmly said, shouldn't we be excited that she's in church today? And excited that she's getting to hear the gospel Because, guys, we like to make laws. We like to make these circles that prevent people from coming to know Jesus. Sometimes we make human covenants with the law that are not of God. We're so faithfully committed to that one covenant that it takes away and it distracts from pointing to the covenant of Abraham, which was the promise of the Messiah, who welcomes all people. So, what laws are you bound to? What laws or covenants do you put before allowing people to come to know Jesus? I'm going to ask that the house lights be turned down. We're going to have a time of response in prayer. Um, I'd just like for us to take a few minutes to check ourselves and ask, have I created a circle? Is there a law that's preventing me from sharing the gospel with everyone? or even preventing me from loving everyone, is take this time now to talk with God. God, thank you for sending people like Paul to answer our questions and remind us of the promise that you made with Abraham. You've included all people in your plan and in your inheritance. And it amazes me how Paul challenges the Galatians, but it also challenges us. 
We're not under the law. We're under grace. And that means that we can let go of the traditions and actions that we believe we must do to earn salvation. All we need is you, Jesus. And I pray that today, this week, and throughout our lives, those of us in this room will have the courage to live free and share this gospel message with the world. Amen. Thank you for listening today. Boise Bible College exists to raise up leaders for the church, where we value scholarship, humility, innovation, and community. For more information about Boise Bible College, please see boisebible.edu.